This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlemachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Bradford. We've been warning you. We've been warning you. We did a podcast just the other day. Sean Spradling, WBC Central, our guy, our international baseball guy, broke it down for you. And that's what we're going to give you today, the breakdown. And what are we talking about? We're talking about Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the pitcher who everybody will know his name if you haven't already known his name. And today is a great day to resurface this podcast because, yes, Yamamoto threw his second no-hitter for the Oryx Buffaloes, but most notably... Right behind the plate, Brian Cashman, GM, along with his special assistant, Omar Minaya. They were right there. They were applauding after the no-hitter. And listen, Cashman's not the first executive to see Yamamoto in person. Billy Epler's been there. I'm sure a few others have been there to see him. He is, Yamamoto is going to be the free agent to watch. Everyone focuses on Otani. That's fine. But in terms of pitchers, pure pitchers, pure starting pitchers, that market, I've seen the power rankings for free agents, and I see Blake Snell at the head of it. And listen, Blake Snell, great, great year, great guy to get. But understand this, please. Blake Snell is a lot older than Yamamoto, a lot older. And Yamamoto has the kind of upside the kind of potential to be the top of the rotation guy, which Blake Snell represents. Now, Blake Snell's done it in the major leagues, and Yamamoto hasn't, but I think that people who have watched this guy, Yamamoto, 
especially against an international competition and WBC, all of it, I don't think they have any doubts that this is a top-of-the-rotation guy. This isn't just a, a Kikuchi. This isn't a guy who, who will be able to function. He's the next level from Kikuchi. He's the next level from, I think, even Senga last year. Yamamoto is the guy everybody has been waiting for until Sasaki, the 21-year-old, he becomes eligible. Well, that's not for a year, a few years down the road. But to, to my point about how you have the difference in age, and this is a separator when it comes to free agency, in my mind, you know how old, much older Blake Snell, the, probably the top free agent pitcher on the market, is than Yamamoto? I'll tell you. He's five years, eight months, and 13 days older. Five years, eight months, 13 days. When you're signing a guy to a long-term contract, that's a lot. That's a lot of pitches. All right? That's a lot of difference. All right, anyway. All right. So we just want to give you the heads up. A, Yamamoto threw a no-hitter. His second. B, Brian Castro was sitting right behind home plate. You're going to hear more and more about it. Because this happened, we want to resurface our great friend, Sean Spradling, our conversation talking about Yamamoto. Here you go. All right, the straw that stirs a drink when it comes to all things international baseball. Our guy, the, the guy of the people, the guy who has, has put himself on, on the map as the voice of not only the World Baseball Classic, because that would be too myopic. That would be too, uh, <laughs> that would be pigeonholing it. Sean Spradling is the voice of international baseball. There's a lot of voices. There's a few voices, I should say. But Sean... Um, I want to say it again. You dominated the WBC. Everyone knows it. Uh, and, and the joy that you had in covering it came across, which is a big thing, which is lost on a lot of our, our journalistic world now. Uh, but you're going to keep it going uh, every single day. Well, almost every single day for the next three years. And so by the time, by the time we hit there, Sean, oh, my goodness. like. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine even like this, like six months out, the excitement you're going to have. Oh, we, I started covering the WBC and making content for this last WBC, roughly one calendar year before. So the fact that we're starting this three years before, it's going to be three times as big when 2026 comes around. How many Twitter followers do you have when you started? Uh, well, when I started, it was pretty much just my, like my personal Twitter yeah. account. I had like, like 500. Yeah. So now you have over 10,000. Yeah. Right? About, almost 15,000. 15,000. Yeah. Sorry. So I don't mean to shortchange. Almost. But, not quite. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's and, for, and that's hard, man. That's hard to do. It's hard to gain traction in anything because it's usually it's an oversaturated world. But we've talked about this. I mean, not only did you hit the sweet spot, but you did it so well. And and also at the event itself, I mean, that that you covered that so well. And um, and we've talked about the WBC. This isn't a WBC podcast, but this is we've talked about the WBC and how Go looking back, Sean. It's funny because I haven't even thought of this until we started talking about it about that Otani Trout moment. Like how we said, well, the the WBC, the jumping off point. This yeah. is going to be the propellant to another propellant. This is not a word. Is this going to propel <laughs> uh, baseball like n- no other thing had done in March? And mm-hmm. then you had the conversation of like which guys are going to do well, which guys aren't. But looking back at it, before we get to the Yamamoto conversation, looking back at it, and I know you've done a lot of podcasts about this, 
But now that we're only two months away from finishing off the regular season, like how, what's your like overview? What's your like takeaway right now? Is it what is it what you thought it would be when we hit middle of August? Yeah, I and I mean, first of all, I I know this isn't the question you asked, but I I've given you shouts out shout outs on multiple podcasts as well. Like I. I could not have done any of this without you reaching out to me. So I just want to thank you for that. And oh, the baseball on. is in boring the group. Like- is, yeah, listen, this is an empire. <laughs> this is an empire. You, you, <laughs> when you are, you're going to get the corner office when we buy our building. So <laughs> I'm happy to be a part of it. It's, I mean, like you've said many times, I mean, international baseball, that's like the pinnacle of seeing that baseball is not boring. None of it is boring. Huh. So, yeah, I think that when it when it comes to expectations, this is pretty much what I mean, I couldn't you honestly, you can't really ask for much more than what we've seen. You have we, we just start with Shohei Otani. Like everybody wants to talk about him. He's having one of the best seasons, maybe the best season of any player ever. And he was the center of the WBC. So um, obviously he's different than a lot of players. He's a workhorse in, a, in the sense that in a way that a lot of other players can't um, can't do. But he, I mean, he is the center of baseball. He's the center of the baseball world. And dominated the WBC. We saw a lot of players that maybe started a little slow to the season in the MLB season that picked it up later on in the season, Mm. or maybe some of the players that started hot, like we talked about, maybe like carrying that momentum from the WBC into the MLB season that have started to fade off a little bit. So I don't really think I'm not seeing one specific trend of like, oh, everybody's falling off at the end of the season or everybody started to uh, like had a slow start. Um, it, I, I, I'm not really seeing any of those. trends. Yeah. There have been there's been some research done that's shown that if you take the average of all of the players that play in the WBC, there really isn't a correlation between like a dip in performance. So I've been pleasantly surprised. We haven't seen too many injuries this season and most of them have more or less been traced back to uh, like the pitch clock rather than the WBC. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 that's actually a change because I think that it was pretty well documented, especially with pitchers that this was a problem with the WBC, especially early on. I mean, but as we've, as we've talked about a lot, the preparation of, and I remember David Robertson talking about this. It's, it's just different. Like it's a, it's the preparation and the ramp up, was at a much better level this time around. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, some guys, I think it manifests itself in different ways. I think you're right. I mean, well, remember what, what you said with Adam Jones, when you had him on your podcast, he was like last WBC or in in 20, because it was 2013. Hmm. He said that they had no preparation before. It was just like a day before they were thrown out on the field together. 2017 was different. They actually had a couple of days before to yeah. kind of gel together and get to know each other and prepare, warm, amp up those arms so like earlier. So hopefully as we learn how the WBC works every edition, every three or four years, we'll learn what's best for the pitcher's arms too. And I think we're seeing that. It's also that the, uh, we, we also saw a few examples of, you know, I, I'm looking at it from the Red Sox point of view. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it's all over the map. Like th- totally. maybe this is like the, the team that's a great microcosm of this, where you had Yoshida who has the big hits and everyone's like, oh, he's going to be a superstar and he's a good player. 
But you know, like you're you know, like he's 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 a good player. Is he the guy that he wasn't WBC hitting cleanup behind Otani? Maybe not. But he's a, he's a good player, and it also that's the guy to keep an eye on about wearing down. But that's not necessarily because of the WBC. That's because of the travel of the United States. There's a lot that goes into it. They play less games in NPB too. So less games, yeah, and 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 they're very mindful of that. So that's one example. And then you have Kike Hernandez, who prioritized the WBC. And played a position, you know, didn't didn't once play the position that he was supposed to play for the Red Sox, which is shortstop, and and a play a position that he didn't have a lot of familiarity with, and he was yeah. expected to play every day, and he didn't play there at all. The WBC, he drops into the last week of spring training and go get him, and he had a horrifically bad defensive uh, effort at shortstop once you get there. So, and Alex Cora said this after that, maybe it would be best if he didn't do that at WBC. And then you have another guy in Jaron Duran who sat around for team Mexico, literally sat around, wore a hat, <laughs> cheered on, on Pintran once in a while. And you're like, Oh man, this is going to kill him. He's not playing in spring training. And I say, you know, like he's, he's taken off. So <laughs> this, there's a lot of examples. So, yeah, it's, it's really like, uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, if you look at all of the players that have participated in the WBC, it's all over the map. Like it, it, it really, I'm not seeing much correlation between like everybody is doing better or everyone's doing worse or everyone's getting hurt. It's, I don't know. It's kind of a player by player uh, situation. Um, it's really cool to see players like Jaron Duran do well. Um, you, but then you have like another example, Randy Rosarena started out as one of the hottest players yeah. in MLB this year has died off pretty dramatically um, in the, in the second half, but still having a great season. So I, I, I don't know. I obviously I'm <laughs> pro WBC. I think we can tweak it and, and to be able to protect the arms. Cause I think that's what most people yeah. are most, most concerned about is the pitchers and it'll be fine. You, it's funny. You mentioned a Rosarena, you know, that was one of the things that we talked to uh, about Tampa getting off to this great start. One of the theories was that they had so many guys in the WBC and this was a benefit for them getting off to this great start. Well, now, and I'm not saying there's a correlation, but you're seeing like they're running on fumes a little bit. Is this a factor? All of it. And, and then you go into, I think with the with the pitch clock, people are keeping an eye on this. All of this is new. But yeah. but the, the the guy that people are so worked up over. And when we looked at the WPC, sometimes when we're in it and a guy isn't immediately going to Major League Baseball, we don't pay enough of attention to that guy. We sort of do, but we don't. But now everybody's running to YouTube to say, hey, Yamamoto, what did he do in the WPC? What did he do against the major league hitters? Because, Sean, this guy is going to be – he is going to be – other than Otani, he is going to be the biggest – I think the the most talked about free agent in the market next year. I don't know if you agree. Rob, I – no, I completely agree. It's it's pretty ridiculous, and – I think that honestly, it's pretty cool. You might need to uh, fill me in on this, but I feel like the coverage of Yamamoto has been a lot more this year than we've seen with a lot of the top international arms in like, maybe like five, six, seven years ago. Um, and I think a big part of that is the WBC. But if you, I'll, I guess I'll put it this way. If you were to ask a lot of the 
Japanese media and Japanese content creators, anybody that covered the uh, Japanese baseball NPB uh, over the last couple of years, they would have told you that he was going to be Samurai Japan's ace in the WBC over Otani. The fact that they thought that he was their best pitcher over Otani, obviously Otani's having a, a great year, but he has for the last three years, maybe had the best three year stretch ever in Japanese baseball history. He's won three. He has the potential to, he's won two straight. He has this year has the potential to win three straight MVPs, three straight Sawamura awards, which is the equivalent of the Cy Young and three straight tr- pitching triple crowns. And he's leading in pretty much all of those categories. Roki Sasaki is still leading him by a couple of strikeouts, but he's out for most of the rest of the season. So it will be um, Yamamoto. And we've never seen something like that in any league in professional baseball, let alone a top league like NPB. So he's going to, I, I mean, when he comes over, he's going to command top dollar, <laughs> only second to Otani, I think, in this offseason. Yeah, well, yeah, um, and nice. rightfully so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But it's so you go back to what you said, maybe the most talked about or coveted, you know, pitcher, maybe, you know, other player. I don't know. I mean, it's like the because of everything you said and what what's the age? He's 20, 25, 25, 24, 24. Yeah. So that's another huge, huge aspect of this. Yeah. But think about all the guys that have come over and I go back when the the the, the chaos that was Daisuke. Um mm. But even then, like he had. Well, let me ask you this because I, I'm going back to like the 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 potential um, of this guy mm-hmm. Yamamoto and and maybe some of the things that they they hey is he going to be this good because when Senga came out last year and Senga's been really good this year, but Senga there was like physical prop there was physical not problems there was physical concerns about him that's mm-hmm. that was circulating through baseball. So with Yamamoto, and you go back to Daisuke, well, Daisuke, he threw a million pitches. He's been throwing and professionally since 19 years old. They throw a ton. Is that, is he going to wear down? For you, like when you, you look at Yamamoto and you say that he might be the most coveted, why is he the most coveted? And what is the reason why you say maybe he should or shouldn't be the most? Well, you already said why he should. But why? Yeah. What, what are some of the red flags? Are there any? Yeah. I mean, I think what I've seen, the biggest red flags are his size. I don't think he's too, he's very big. He's pretty short. Um, I, I like 5'10, 170 or so. So, uh, not quite as big as someone, for example, like Roki Sasaki, who will probably be coming over to, to, uh, MLB in a few years, but he's on the smaller end. But other than that, there's not much. There's not too many downsides. If you look at, if you just look at his numbers, he's just having a better, better seasons than anyone has in MLB uh, in NPB. So, for example, like if you compare his numbers to Daisuke Matsuzaka, who was like you said, the craze that was yeah. Daisuke when he came when he was about to come over, he never had a sub two ERA in uh, NPB. And uh, Yamamoto hasn't had a an ERA over two in the last three years. Like he's only had an ERA under two. Um, his strikeout per nine is consistently above nine. Um, he's his accurate, like his command and control, I think is probably his calling card because he's not like the fastest pitcher. He's not, again, Roki Sasaki throws 102, 103. I think Yamamoto probably tops out 98 
or 99, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, um, which is still great, but it's, uh, it's just his pinpoint accuracy. And um, we've just never seen numbers like this. And so I don't know what his spin rates look like. I, I, I would defer to like Eno Saris for his stuff plus numbers, which he does have some numbers from the WBC on Yamamoto and a couple of the other Japanese guys. Um, but every every Japanese media member that you talk to has said that he's he's the best pitcher in Japan, like over Kodai Senga, over uh, many of the other guys that have come over in recent years. He's, he has better numbers than Yu Darvish did um, when he was in NPB. So. He's the I mean, real deal. Yeah. So you're talking when you were talking about Daisuke, then I'm thinking, okay, I think next up was Darvish, like you, Darvish. And again, a big guy and uh, like a, uh, another big guy, obviously Otani, a big guy. Um, yeah. But it is to, to hit the sweet spot of 20, 24 going to 25. This is the biggest thing, Sean, man. Like, this is why teams, I yep. think. Anytime anyone gets into the free agent pitching market, it's 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 a mess. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> they're all they're always almost always 29, 30. You're gonna get a couple years, but you gotta commit to multiple years. You gotta commit to a long term. And now you're sitting there, boom. And um he's a Boris guy, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, he's a Boris guy. So the so So that means money. Is there is just uh, to educate our listeners, is there any restrictions when it comes to signing it? Yeah, so the NPB posting rules are pretty confusing um, if you've not seen them before or if you're just used to like the MLB draft, um, which is pretty straightforward. When it comes to international players coming to MLB, the rule is you have to be at least, I think it is 25 years old or older by the mm-hmm. time you're posted, which he will be in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, and you have to be 25 years or older. And I think it's 10 years of service time uh, in that professional league, in an, another professional league that MLB recognizes as like a professional league. So obviously NPB, KBO, CPBL, they all count. He meets both of those, and yet he's still only 24 years old right now. So he has a long, long career ahead of him in MLB, assuming he he does come over, which everything indicates that he will. Um, I mean, he's at, at 24, 25. That's what age a lot of the older prospects are coming up in MLB anyways. And he's oh, already yeah. been performing at the top level of a top professional league. So has there been has there has there been um uh has there've been scuttlebutt. Has he talked about this at all? Like, has he, has there been like, Hey, I, I'm, has he like say, Hey, I'm looking forward to play, pitching in the MLB. Like we're all assuming this, right. Yeah. And this yeah. is safe, safe assumption, right? Oh yeah. He said he wants to come over his, his goal and his dream is to come over to MLB. I will say, since I don't speak Japanese, I haven't seen too many quotes on my own of what yeah. he said about coming over. I would defer to, like at Yaku Cosmopolitan mm-hmm. on um, on Twitter and YouTube. He has fantastic coverage. One of my good friends has helped with a lot of my Japanese coverage. He posts pretty much everything that happens in NPB in English. So he he covers every single Yamamoto start. Um, but he had his plan for a while has been to come over to MLB. I think there were maybe like four or five scouts seen at one of his games recently or maybe like a month or two ago. 
but I can guarantee oh, most this, of the league is over yeah. there watching him. Yeah. How did uh what was what was your takeaway from his WBC performance? Um, I mean, he looked great. He was he was uh, again top like top of the WBC. The Japanese pitching was the best in the tournament. It was crazy. Like they had better pitching than the US, the Dominicans. Um, you, everybody wanted to see. We, and we can talk about it if you want later on in another podcast, Roki Sasaki, who will be coming over like 27. Oh, yeah. But he, everybody wanted to talk about him, but everybody forgets that Yamamoto has had better numbers than Roki Sasaki has had the couple the last couple of years. So um, he he had a couple really good starts. I'm trying to pull up his numbers right now because I'm not remembering who he started against. But um, it was that rotation was just like an all time rotation. We had Yamamoto, Roki Sasaki, Otani, and Darvish. Like Darvish was their worst starter of the three yeah, he didn't in the even, tournament. He didn't, he didn't even start at the end, right? No, and Shota Imanaga, who also will be coming over to MLB probably this offseason. So it's it's pretty crazy. The Japanese pitching, NPB is, they're obviously a step below MLB, but their stars on both the offense and the pitching side are neck and neck with MLB. You got guys like Otani and Yoshida coming over and doing very well, Seiya Suzuki. So the fact that he's able to continue putting up those numbers year after year, like three years straight of a triple crown type numbers is absurd. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Well, listen, everyone's getting jacked up for it now, Sean. Like every everybody. Everybody's getting like everybody, not especially the bad teams. Like yeah. you, Listen, the Mets people, the best people love talking like some Yamamoto. Let me tell you. <laughs> Anytime that I tweet about Yamamoto, you'll see all of the replies and the quotes. They're like, In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I... Uh... I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to the Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. He's a he's a Met or he's a Red or what, whatever your favorite team is. Insert team. It's like, oh, he's he's such a uh, a ranger like every single team is on him so, like, okay, it's so give, me, give me the give me the fan base that that's another fascinating part of your existence give me the because <laughs> you have the fan bases coming at you give me the fan base that you feel like it's like understands how good this guy is more than any other fan base <laughs> i think honestly and i'm not even saying this because it's you but i'm gonna say the red Sox. really like, i think that there are a ton of and maybe it's because of yoshida but people are paying attention in Boston now to a lot of Japanese baseball. Every time I post about Roki Sasaki, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, um, Munitaka Murakami, all like a lot of Red Sox Twitters all over him. So we'll see. Maybe Can I, I'll give you a theory on that is that I think that most people in Boston understand that they have no chance at Otani, right? <laughs> I think everybody is, is distracted by the Otani market. San Diego, Los Angeles, Nets, whoever. And the Red Sox couldn't get a meeting with a guy the last time. So they're like, okay, yeah. that's cool. That's cool. We'll we'll take this guy. It's all good. They're talking themselves <laughs> into it be, being okay. So <laughs> what do you what do you think about Yamamoto to the Red Sox? I mean, you have you're you're looking at probably nearing 200 million, which yeah, I think over 
I, it's interesting because I think they, in the free agent market, they traditionally, or not traditionally, in the last few years, they haven't been willing to win a lot of battles in the mm-hmm. free agent market, with exception of Yoshida, right? I mean, they outbid everyone so much that that they didn't even get a Zoom call. But they, they think, that's the craziest part of this. A that's Boris, wild. a Boris client said, "No, oh, that, oh, actually, we'll, we'll, we, we don't even have to do a Zoom call. We're not even <laughs> going to go to the other teams. We're just going to take this money and before it goes away." I mean, that's how much they went after this guy, and I. And I, I'm critical of them because I don't think they do that enough. Like they say, this is the guy we want. We're going to overpay for him. And yeah. judging by a lot of reactions, you know, they a lot of the people thought they did overpay. As it turns out, they didn't overpay. It doesn't seem like they overpaid. The guy is a good player. He's a good yeah. player. He's 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 having a better – Benintendi signed the same sort of deal. He's having a much better year than Benintendi. Yeah. So, um, but – I think that they love Yamamoto. They love him. So I think that whatever you say, two hundred million, I wouldn't be surprised at all for them to say, "Hey, you know what? This is the guy we're going to allocate our resources to." Because here's another thing: with the Red Sox, not a ton of not a ton of um, pitching prospects coming mm-hmm. up, and they have, and so they got to fill out. And if they're if you're going to build it through free agency, like. This, as we said, this is the way to build it through free agency. He's 25. I mean, this is like, yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about Otani and how much more money he's going to make because of the business side of thing. Well, how much more money is Yamamoto going to make because of the 25 year old thing? So, anyway, I, I'm just going to start here, Lance. For you, what, what, when was it when you started digging in on Yamamoto? Was it Wow, this guy's a top of the rotation guy. This is this is maybe, and I don't even know like what the if we could power rank the best Japanese pitchers to come over, but this is gonna be one of the best ever. We were just talking before a little bit about Daisuke. Certainly, sure. Daisuke Matsuzaka, but he was perceived as that. But what was your initial perception when you started digging on Yamamoto? Yeah, my initial perception was influenced, I think, by a lot of what I read, which was overwhelmingly positive. Um, I don't think I really heard anything bad about him. And I think maybe that's just connected to the fact that, like, the projections on his salary, you know, if you jump to fan graphs, it's like seven years and high 100s. You know, it's like 175 to 200 in that window. We'll see if the posting fee kind of drives that money down. Um, I imagine a guy like Steve Cohen with the Mets is going to be in on him, so maybe he just pushes the price tag to whatever he wants to get him. But... I, I, it was overwhelmingly positive, and that surprised me then when I talked to some individuals in front offices who are analysts or people connected to the pitching side in any capacity who've done a little bit of digging on him, right? Like anyone at any level in an org, if the, they, they think their team is in on him, they probably you know have looked at him, have dug in, and maybe theorized in their head how they think he's going to project. And I was surprised to hear that most of it was like good but more lukewarm and also just kind of like you don't know how those guys are going to translate, you know? And I, and that surprised me a bit. So what I did was I dug, you know, I got some of his NPB data. There's a little bit of his World Baseball Classic data out there. If you jump through some of the back roads of Baseball Savant and such, because those were in stadiums where they were outputting data. So you could get like 100 or so pitches. And for the most part, I thought that was relatively representative, but I wanted to see what he did in NPB. And I, 
I liked it. I think it's, I think he's a good pitcher. I feel like I've become like the champion of the, I don't know if he's worth 200 million crowd, but I like it though. It's, it's good though. It's good because we have yeah, just, champions of like, Oh my God. And, and, and Lance, not to interrupt, but we have enough of the, this is the guy because he's exactly. Yeah. He's excelled so much and he's 25. Anyway. So this is, yeah. you are the voice of reason for good <laughs> or for bad. Go ahead. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Like I, at the end of the day, all the time people are like, would you pay so much for so-and-so? And it's like, it's not my money. Like, if, if you're having me construct a roster, I would just take the best guys on the market. I would take Yamamoto. I would take Nola. I would take Snell. You know, like, give me any of them. Like, I, money, I don't care about money. It's not my money that I'm spending. You know what I mean? From an analyst standpoint, you do have to actually consider the money side. But anyways, I – so I, I think Yamamoto is really good. I think he's a really good pitcher. I think the two things driving up the value for him is the fact that, one, he's really young, right? And – that I think has a large influence on whatever major league org is looking at him and potentially thinking that they can adjust him going forward. You know, so if you want to pay him, you know, above 20 million a year AV, which is going to end up probably being the case, then you're projecting him forward and you're looking at it more from the perspective of like, okay, by the time he's 28, we'll be getting his natural peak. And then from that natural peak, we can figure out, you know, how the repertoire works, what what's working here as opposed to that, worked for him over an MPB. And the example, I, I did a very similar thing for Kodai Senga last year. And I wouldn't say that I came down on the same path, but Senga, I thought, like, looking back now, he should have got a lot more money. Yeah. $14 million a year for Kodai Senga is a steal right now. It looks like an absolute steal. And the interesting thing is, like, I, I thought I nailed some of the things in the Senga video by looking at his MPB data. Like, the fastball is fine. It's not great. I guess I underestimated how good this splitter would be, his forkball. Like, it's a, it's just generated an insane swing miss um, over here compared to even what he did in this in NPB. And he's also played around with different sliders. Like, he, he came in with a sweeper that he learned that he didn't really throw in NPB. This is Kodai Seng I'm talking about. And that didn't work for him. So they reverted him back to more of like a, like a pure gyro ball, throw it harder, kind of more just pure drop on it. And that worked versus left-handed hitters really well. So like he's tinkered already. So like whatever you want to project out the gate with Senga, assuming he was going to throw more sweeper, is not what you got at the end of the year when he was going crazy and ended up fourth or fifth in Cy Young voting, I forgot. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a guy like Yamamoto, it's a different mix, right? Like it's better fastball, I would argue. I think it's a better pitch, better fastball, right? It's a ton of total movement on his fastball. So he has a lot of ride and run to the pitch. That makes it a little less platoon neutral, I would say. Makes it a little better versus right-handed hitters. I think for the most part, it's not going to work as effectively versus left-handed hitters for that reason. The splitter is good. It's not as good as Kodai Senga's. It's not as unique as what I said in the video, and I think that's a fair point. Kodai Senga's does not have as much of that arm side movement, so it's a more of a unique pitch. It's very similar Kodai Senga's to Hurston Waldrop, who was drafted by the Atlanta Braves, whereas Yamamoto's is probably more in the tier of just most of the splitters you see in Major League Baseball. Now, that's nitpicking because splitters, if you could add any individual pitch to a given pitcher to make him better, it's a splitter, and I don't think that's debatable. They're the best pitch in baseball at limiting hard contact, the best pitch in baseball at generating swing and miss. So it's a splitter. It's really good. He doesn't really throw a sweeper, and he has a big curveball. The curveball is more like 76 to 78, and I like the fact that he uses it as like a two-strike put-away pitch and a get-ahead pitch. He's very comfortable using it in a variety of counts, but it's – like curveballs in Major League Baseball have really changed, right? They're they're generally not pitches that you lead repertoires with. They're pitches to offset a handedness with. They're pitches to throw right-handed pitcher to left-handed hitter to kind of mix it up, you know? Like most curveballs in terms of run values in Major League Baseball are those that are thrown really hard, 
you know, like the Lance McCullers 84 plus, you know, any of those pitches where they almost don't even really land in curveball territory anymore. They push up into sliders. So with Yamamoto, you know, those three pitches alone, they're good. Like, I think they're good. He also has a little bit of feel for like a a sweeper slider, which I imagine a major league org is going to have him throw more. But I I think he's good. I just think the reason that you love him, anyone that's watched him, is because of the pitchability and the command, right? And that, I'm not entirely, like, I think he has great pitchability and that he'll come over to the States and that'll be the calling card of his game. But you also see with these guys that come over, there's adjustment periods. It's a different ball. It's a different culture. It's a different lifestyle. Like, you have to, I think, a lot of the time, you'll see in any of my videos, I think probabilistically, right? Like, there's a range of outcomes with a guy like Yamamoto. I thought, for the most part, the range of outcomes that was like he's more average in his first year and then maybe starts to get better or even slightly below average in his first year and then gets better was really underrepresented based on everything I read in media and fan graphs, et cetera. And that's totally fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it was valuable to have the other perspective. Like, he comes over, the fastball gets beat up, and the pitch that he was throwing 50% of the time is no longer his best pitch. And then what do you have? Because your split is not as good as Senga's. You know, the curveball 77. Like, it's, it's there's not a lot of major league curveballs that are 77 miles per hour that work well. So if you love him, you love the pitch ability, and you think that he could – the argument – I'm countering my argument here is, like, he has a fastball and he has such good pitchability with it that he could turn it into multiple pitches. So, like, you watch his starts. He backdoors it to uh, right-handed hitters. He throws it up. He throws it inside. To lefties, he kind of goes front hip. He goes away and he goes up. So you essentially take that fastball, like, split it into multiple locations. It becomes multiple pitches. That's the strength of him. I don't think it's a matter of, like, Kodai saying of throwing, you know, 35 40% splitter and just – seeing what happens and then using his fastball less and less as the year goes on. I don't think a guy like Yamamoto is going to have the luxury of not using his fastball a ton. Um, and, you know, the stats are unbelievable in MPB. I just think it's reasonable to consider that he's not like dominant out of the gate. And then it takes a little bit. Like by the time he's 26 or 27, if he's as good as he was in MPB, then he's a perennial Cy Young candidate. You know, it's just you compare the contract he's going to get to a guy like Senga. And like, I'd be curious to add, like age, agnostic of age i think everyone would just take senga you know like if senga was 26 or 7 coming over i'm curious to see if he would get as much as yamamoto got um mm-hmm. but I, I mean i would just take senga like senga's a really good pitcher i know he's 30 like you're you're paying for the fact that he's 25 you're paying for the fact that you love the pitchability and if you think that translates then go for it you know what i mean i just think there's a little more risk maybe than we're all considering with a guy like yamamoto so, so i don't know first, listening to me i don't know if, if no you, no if the, so the first thing Lance, the first thing is i'm writing this down change headline to the case for in parentheses or against uh yeah i mean i, I should know but yamamoto no, but this everything is, this is but this is this is important um and because I've we've heard enough of the good. Like we've and, and a lot of what you said is good. I understand this. I'm gonna yeah, go yeah. To, I'm gonna wake up to Senga. One of the answers of why he landed where he landed with his money was there was injury concerns. There was sure, like, sure. and there still it, is with him, you could argue. Yeah. Yeah. And so and again, we might go back and we and we I go back to I keep going back to Dice Game Matsuzaka. Dice Game Matsuzaka, people forget, you know, he finished fourth in Cy Young voting in two, in his second year. In the major yeah. leagues, at first year was pretty good, not outstanding. Everyone yeah. trying to figure out like why do you keep walking the bases loaded and then getting out of it, <laughs> you know. And so, but then you finish fourth in the Cy Young voting in in two thousand eight, and then he goes to the WBC and comes back throwing eighty eight mile eighty miles an hour. So my point is, is that with Senga, we don't know. Good for him. Good first year, as you point out, he adjusted some things. 
Um, the thing with Yamamoto, I'm also curious, is you're right. Age is important. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I'll go back to Daisuke. There was concern about a lot of pitches at an age, right? So you know, last we saw Yamamoto, he was throwing 130-something pitches in a game, right? Sure, sure. And so um, I, I'm not saying that's how – because we, we don't know, but we have to factor all this in. The interesting thing you talk about is fastball. Fastball is his go-to pitch over 50% of the time. You got me going because of your video down a rabbit hole of extension. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, so um, I was pounding baseball savant, looking for someone with a lot of red with really low extension. So his extension, <laughs> I think, in the major leagues would be, what, less than 20 percentile, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's tough, too, because – the one thing that we don't really have on the public side is looking at extension relative to height. You can look, look at it two ways. Like extension on the low end matters, I think, because it'll just take away a little bit of fastball characteristic. Like you think of a guy like Tyler Glass on down the mound. Like that reaction time, I think, matters to some extent. A lot of people don't think extension is in baseball on the nerd side is really like has a ton of value to it. But I do think on the ends of it, like elite extension or below average extension, it it has some contribution to like maybe a fastball playing down slightly. The other thing to consider is like, He's a little shorter. Like he's, I think he's 5'10, mm-hmm. um, Yamamoto. So, like, relative to his height, his extension is okay. It's just that the average height of a pitcher in Major League Baseball is what, like 6'2, 6'3, 6'4? Yeah. And like those guys are all extending a couple inches beyond their height. So they're extending maybe 6'4, 6'5, 6'6 down the mound. Whereas Yamamoto is extending like right around six feet, but he's 5'10. So it's like his extension isn't short relative to his height. It's kind of average, but the fact that he's short makes like the net extension lower than you'd expect. And therefore, like, that's another reason that I mentioned the video is like, maybe the fastball plays down slightly from a contact quality standpoint. And especially because of the fact that he didn't generate a lot of swing and miss with it overseas. So like, if that's slightly below average, and then you think that extension has some impact on it, then like, maybe it plays down even more. But again, it goes back to the point, the counter argument there is that he's such good pitch building command of the pitch that you're just hoping the contact quality is so bad that the swing and miss doesn't really matter. So that's kind of how I think about his extension in particular. But a lot of yeah. the Japanese pitches aren't – I mean, they're not partic- They're not 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". So I think you run into the situation where, like, a lot of them don't really have big extension. Right. And like, like you point out, I mean, this isn't the be-all, end-all. We're picking through this guy, and, and it's – it's well, we can't forget it's a, it's a results business. Um, but you also mentioned Senga, he, he, him adjusting. I mean, this is part of it. Yeah. And, and with Yamamoto is, is he going to develop – the 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 pitch which we obsessed over in 2023, which is a sweeper, um, and sure, sure. and so is he going to integrate that along with the split? Which I, you know, I I found it fascinating you talking about the split because we had uh, we actually had Brian Bannister on again this week. Um, Brian Bannister had said the last time he was on, he's like, people don't you know the split for me is the best pitching base. It's the best pitch in sure. baseball. And he backs it up. Yep. Yeah. And and everybody is a lot of teams like, oh, well, it's going to lead to injury. Well, I, you, no one's proven that to me. This is the pitch. This is the pitch. So I guess, you know, the, here's, here we go. We pivot back to the K free Yamamoto. All right. Well, you have one of the most effective pitches in your arsenal, and it's really, really good, right? Uh, totally. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with Bannister. I love Bannister. He's going to be a huge asset to the White Sox in that organization. I, I've listened to a couple of pods with him, and I think he's incredibly intelligent. So I've, I've learned a lot from just listening to various things he's done. So, but no, I think he's spot on there, right? Like, I, I don't know whether splitters lead to more injury. I think that's a debate. You know, the case that I heard for that is that 
generally splitters are just thrown a little bit harder than changeups. And if you think velocity has some correlation to injury, then you could argue that maybe throwing a splitter over changeup leads to slightly more injury risk if you're just comparing between those two variables of like, do I throw a changeup or do I throw a splitter? So to each their own. But the reality is like, we've seen this with velocity as well. If you think velocity has some correlation to injury, velocity is so highly valued in organizations that it doesn't really deter organizations from training it and caring about it. So it's a little surprising to me that organizations are like, you know, splitters are the best pitch in baseball, again, at generating contact and weak contact and generating swing and miss. And yet, for some reason, like, we're not totally incentivized to use them a ton because we think they're injury-related. It's like, well, velocity also, for the most part, you look at, you know, you know, you have to look at it relative to, like, that pitcher's efficiency and how much torque they're putting on their arm. There's some really good tweets out there from some driveline folks. Kyle Wasserberger is one of them who talks about this, you know, the risk-reward of it. And I think there's risk-reward splitters as well. It's just for some reason we're a little more hesitant to uh, implement it. I'm not entirely sure why, but I do think we're getting to the point, too. The sneaky thing that I, I, I'm thinking about doing a video on is, like, We've heard a lot. There's a lot of guys who throw splitters, but are, they're just tagged as changeups. Like Shane McClanahan's a great one. You look at his grip; he's split. You know, it's, it's split change or changeup or whatever you want to call it. But like I, the naming, the naming of pitches has created, I think, a lot of confusion around this. And I actually think it's sharp by some organizations is to just say it's a changeup, but like actually give him more of a split grip and uh, and throw it and just be like it's a changeup, and it's like it's actually a splitter. But okay, <laughs> what what uh when you look at Yamamoto split, um. Does anybody jump to mind? Oh, I don't think I drew a comp on it. Um, I let me see if I still have that info up. I could try to grab it. No, that's it's um, yeah. So it's uh because we love, especially when it comes to like traditional, I guess, changeups. You know, we say, oh well, like there's his his changeups, like like a lot like his changeup, or sure, and or you know, like like I talked about extension. Oh, like his extension on baseball savant is like his extension. Yep. But a lot of times, it's not only the analytics; it's what it looks like, how it feels, the the impact it has on hitters. Um, all you have to do is go to the WBC highlights and see some of the impact the Yamamoto had against major league hitters. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know if uh, if pulling some. Let me see if I can pull some of that quick to see if I have one. So the thing is here, like you could compensate not based on extension and stuff, but I do think it matters to do it based on extension, some other variables. Um, uh, the names that come up that are kind of close based on not crazy big extension is like Taiwan Walker, um, Alex Cobb throws 190 with similar shape and some run. Um, I don't, Marcus Stroman might be a reasonable comp. Marcus Stroman's a low release high, low extension guy with a lot of run on his, on his split, but he throws a little slower. Um. Yeah, the velo is the big thing here. Um. Yeah, I, I'll go Tywin Walker, Alex Cobb. If you All want, right. maybe stretch it and see Stroman. All those are really good changeups. You know what I mean? Or excuse me, splitters. Yeah, so, yeah. No, it's. I mean, listen. So I go back to the, it's a results business, and the results uh, that against in the major league realm was the WBC short sample size. Yeah, hitters are are in March. We have to factor all that in. But from what you saw of his approach and the hitters' reactions, and and whatever, or maybe it's other international competition too. Is there anything that jumps out about? Okay, you know, this is going to be it's going to be okay for Yamamoto. You know? Yeah, it's the pitchability. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Whenever I watch any of his starts or sequencing or anything he does well, it's like, oh yeah, like he knows how to spot the ball. Like there's an innate level of command there. And you know, you talk to people in major league organizations about how you develop command, how you train it. 
I generally don't get good answers. So I always find that fascinating. And I, I mean, I've gotten some answers that are just like, oh, it's just an innate characteristic, really. Like, I, I, we don't really think there's any way to control it and make it better. And what you run into with older guys is just some survivorship bias of like, those are the guys that just happen to hang around for a really long time are those that when they lose velocity have command. And you could think of a Scherzer, you could think of a Verlander in that sense. Um, I think for the most part, even though those guys throw biasly a bit hard. But anyways, yeah, it's the pitchability. I mean, it, that's one of those things I think that any baseball fan would be able to kind of just pick out watching a guy is the ability to command the ball. You know, you look at 80 to 100 pitches in a given start, and he's, if he's only missing by more than, say, 12 inches on a small percent of them, you go, wow, this guy has the ability to have good command. I think even average baseball fans could probably pick out good command for the most part. You could also tell when a guy's being wild, you know? Like, it's the same on that spectrum of, like, this guy has no feel for the zone. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think even an average baseball fan can pick it out. So that's the key thing is, like, his ability to spot the ball. And, you know, this stuff is good, too. That's the combination. Like, the stuff grades out pretty well. It's just that some of the results are kind of m- maybe more iffy, especially on the fastball, I thought, generally. So, I mean, you watch WBC stuff, he spots the ball. And uh, that gives me some encouragement that he'll be able to adjust to the major league ball, which is slightly different than the MPB ball, maybe better than some people w- others have or others expect. You know, he's a pitcher at the end of the day. I- talking to, you know, uh, an individual trained actually Kodai Sanger actually had some communication with Kodai Sanger. Like they just had him like he, he adjusted pretty quickly to the ball. So I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's something to be worried about. I just, again, I think it's another variable that could impact how successful right. he is. I, I, it's funny you said that. That's was the, what was on the top of my mind uh, as you were talking, which, which was, I've seen different Japanese. I, I remember calling uh, Sawamura's first spring training game. It was so unbelievably uncomfortable, Lance. It was, um, it was, I mean, he was throwing it, you know, halfway to the plate. He couldn't find the strike zone, the mound. Like, and after that, like the mound was, the mound's different. The balls are different. And you just don't know. You, you just don't know. And good for Senga for adjusting. And I would imagine, you know, this entire offseason, you have this entire offseason. Here's the ball, major league ball. Here's the major league mound. But you just don't know. And I guess that's what spring training is for, too. So, absolutely. Yep.